Welcome to Sacred and Sequential Audio at the intersection of religion and comics. I'm A. David Lewis. Elizabeth Cudi is the director of the Illith Writing Lab at the University of Denver. She holds a PhD in Biblical Interpretation with a dissertation focusing on the way scholars can reimagine the scandal of the cross, especially for Christian readers, through comics. I got to speak with her regarding her American Academy of Religion Society of Biblical Literature paper at the 2017 conference. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Dave. Thank you for taking the time to talk today and share your material. It is greatly appreciated. Oh, it's my pleasure. And this was originally from uh, a presentation you gave at the American Academy of Religion Conference in 2017. Is that correct? That's right. I actually gave this presentation to uh, a Society of Biblical Literature audience, um, which actually in the paper you'll notice that I'm talking to uh, people with a vested interest in the Bible and its presentation a little particularly. That, In other words, I pitched it to be uh, toward people who know less about comics and more about the Bible. So oh. that will come up, I think. And since we're here on a podcast, uh, part of my responsibility is going to be serving as the eyes of the listeners. That if you have visuals that you want to reference, while people will get a URL to the actual Prezi itself, um, they don't have to do that. I will try to detail uh, the visual image or, or illustration you're discussing uh, as you address them. That's right. When I put together a presentation like this, especially when I'm talking about comics, um, I think the images are of primary importance in a lot of cases. Um, and I, uh, in other words, I actually think that images do something that text can't. Even me describing text or describing images with text uh, can't quite do what the image can do. So I yeah. take that very seriously, which is why I have these visuals to go with what I'm saying. Oh, I'm an imperfect replacement <laughs> at best. But oh, but greatly appreciated. <laughs> for those who don't have a screen in front of them at the moment but still want to uh, tune in to the examples you're doing, I will do my humble best. Right. If you're driving a car, don't go see, don't look at the images yet, but uh, I do encourage you to, if you have a moment, just to at least look at a couple of these uh, images uh, once you've heard what they're all about. And I will make sure a link to the Prezi is provided uh, in the show notes and towards the conclusion. So the floor Great. is yours. All right. Well, here we go. The title of this presentation is The More Savage Sword, A Theory of Biblical Text Used for Shock. The Bible is not boring. Uh, you and I know that the Bible is often shocking. How often have you seen it cause a sudden upset, startle, or disturb someone? However, I find that in my own more narrow study of cross, as portrayed in Mark and Paul's work, the public perception, especially the mainstream Christian perception of the Bible, has been cleansed of much of what might disturb. 
This paper is not the end of the schema that I hope to create involving shock. Instead, it's a beginning to a set of questions about shock related to how one portrays the Bible that I hope will inform more work. My thesis is more speculative than confirmed. That is, shock is an important and mercurial tool in the kit of biblical teachers that has one uses and two dangers. Shock then is a double-edged sword, which might have us hearing echoes of Ephesians 6, uh, where the word of God is referred to as a sword. Perhaps the word of God is a sword, but today I want to discuss how it might also be a savage one in the tradition of Conan the Barbarian. I am inspired here by a, a view of the Bible portrayed on a cover of Heavy Metal Magazine by Ken Kelly, who's better known for covers of Kiss albums than biblical epics. Why don't you tell us about this uh, cover, Dave? We have uh, right in front of us on this cover of Heavy Metal a hyper-masculine, uh, <laughs> muscular Jesus. Uh, with the remains, it looks like corpses, of nearly undead Romans at his feet, a glistening sword hoisted over his head, uh, a, a woman, perhaps uh, one of the Marys, draped at his feet in appreciation, let's say, yet... <laughs> a bloody cross and fellow crucifixed persons uh, in the background behind this glorious, glorious and um, radical depiction. I love how sort of painterly this is. There are a lot of heavy metal covers that sort of go this way. It's got this glow up on the title, heavy metal at the top. Um, and I also, if I were casting this uh, person to be, you know, to be an actual person, you'd have to pick Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it would have to be Arnold in his absolute prime, like yeah. bodybuilder Arnold. Like it couldn't, <laughs> even modern Arnold could not play this guy. It would have to be, you know, completely ripped up Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I will say the one thing I'm surprised about here is how um, demure and how covered the supplicant female character is while he is glistening and oiled and pectoral mm -hmm. uh it's actually kept quite sedate and modest for her oh oh completely agree yeah this is an unusual female figure for heavy metal magazine they're usually uh you know buxom and uh nearly naked almost all the time yeah. so uh but you'll notice i also have on the same slide uh, some Kiss album covers that Ken Kelly uh, has painted. And uh, the similarities are striking in the sort of background, especially that uh, sort of sky and glowing background that uh, really takes it over the top. So, um, so I, I want to keep going and tell you that this cover is uh, to help you see, and this whole uh, epic here is to show you how one biblical species of shock works. Um, so I want to introduce the story that's inside this magazine. It's Scottish writer Grant Morrison's Savage Sword of Jesus Christ. I want to show that with this that shock is one, the familiar with a twist, and then 
what shock is in a betrayal of a biblical story, and three, how shock might be put toward tension. A close reading of this comic has been a great aid to my imagination on this subject, even if what appears in this paper is a kind of a quick read of the actual comic. There's more here. I will show how the savage sword of Jesus Christ succeeds at shocking with pseudo or near-biblical material, neither failing to provoke a reaction nor hopefully causing its audience to turn away in disgust. By showing that the comic can both change and solidify the meaning of the biblical text as it shocks, I will theorize shock as a use of the Bible. This is a cautionary tale, too, and there is a twist. Uh, but first, there is the problem of domestication that shock may be still be a tool to help solve. The cross and the Bible are both domesticated in a literal sense of the term. They're tamed and often brought into the home. So I show some images here of uh, the cross uh, tamed and brought into the home at its most literal. So what are you seeing there, Dave? I'm seeing um, some very ornate crosses practically filling household walls, even above a bathtub, even included in crafts that can be done for home, not in any one style, but actually in a multitude of decora. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, these images uh, show specifically the cross at what I think of as its most tamed. Uh, if the cross is cleansed of its horrors, it makes Christians insensitive to its layers of meaning. Uh, domestication can contribute to a failure of imagination. Uh, this is James Combs' term. As he says, the cross has been turned into a harmless, non-offensive ornament that Christians wear around their necks. Uh, in his 2011 book, Cohn has demonstrated that white Christians in America have uh, trouble seeing the obvious parallels between the cross and the lynching tree. This is his book of that same name, The Cross and the Lynching Tree from 2011. Uh, this threatens what Cohn's call, Cohn calls the credibility and promise of the Christian gospel and the hope that we may heal the wounds of racial violence that continue to divide our churches and our society. The same is true, I think, to, a, to the Bible understood as a whole iconic book. Uh, the advent of post-colonial feminist womanist and two-thirds world readings are aids to a life-giving imagination, but Whenever the imagination fails, that's when the Bible becomes a bludgeon, uh, even in the hands of Cone's most well-meaning white theologians. Uh, the failure of this imagination, I think, is related to Tim Beale's idea that Bible publishers are selling down the sacred capital of the Bible. That is, when the text floods the market, it cannot help but lose some of its set-apartness. This is from his uh, 2011 book, the rise and fall of the Bible. The pervasive domestication of the Bible and the cross has made that connection to the modern social world difficult to imagine. Its sacred capital is sold down, but it's still present. The domestication of the Bible does not mean that it stays on its leash, but that the healthy shock that the Bible might sometimes provide is blunted. I want to make use of this shock tactically in the way Michelle de Certeau defines the practice. That is, I want to use shock within the space of other strategic readings to help solve the problem of domestication. So, but what is shock? Uh, shock here is not the same thing as using blasphemy, uh, recalling S. Brent Plate's work on this subject, in that it's not necessarily about a transgression of lines between the sacred and the profane, although that can be a part of it. 
Shock is about interruption and reaction. It is a generative brand of provocation. Affect theorist Yan Gai calls it excessive excitation. As scholars, we must understand the Bible as shocking to understand its power to cause reactions. We need to understand that sudden upset, jolt of shock to be effective teachers. But what are the implications of using shock at all? Rita Felsky reclaims the everyday word shock for literary studies to name a reaction to what is startling, painful, and even horrifying. She chose this, and as she calls it, lowbrow term, because as she says, a word drawn from everyday usage can clear away some of our calcified and often underjustified convictions about the impact and import of literary works. Felsky de defends the ability of postmodern readers to experience shock against Frederick Jameson's world-weary historicism that dismisses the idea of the weird and intolerable for any true postmoderns. Jameson would have it that nothing can shock a true postmodern sensibility. While Felsky certainly agrees that we are not quite Victorian in our sensibilities, she claims that as long as we are prone to evasion and or denial, shock will find a place in art. I think this evasion and denial are part of what we can use in, as interpreters too. Shock can, when used in care with the right con in the right contexts, be a useful pedagogical tool when teaching a group of students who have deeply ingrained assumptions about the biblical text. For example, to disabuse students of the idea that biblical stories take place in a modern Western worldview, it might be necessary to introduce culture shock. As Stephanus Johannes Jobert illustrates in his own work on this particular topic, if a reader of a modern translation sees that Jesus' healing activities as that of a doctor, uh, then we don't call into question our own views of sickness. That is, it would be easy to understand that Jesus healed people of biological somatic ailments. Uh, the fact that his folk healing was dependent on social relationship and forgiveness is inexplicable then without the right cultural context. In my own work, I frankly find the idea that crucifixion was a lynching, uh, the cross is a lynching tree, to be a painful thing to hear. But I think to understand the cross in the United States, I must feel the shock in order to be part of a justice-seeking community. Uh, so shock is useful to shake away complicity. I feel an urgency around a responsible way to discuss the Bible. Our text's most uncomfortable uses, influences, and impacts, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-woman, anti-LGBTQI, anti-minority, anti-poor, anti-intellectual are always an undercurrent and a danger. But since 2008, and most notably in the last 18 months, groups, uh, many calling themselves or being called, depending on various whims of them, the alt-right, have become more powerful in the mainstream. Rather than finding that we are, in Jameson's world-weary postmodernists, that nothing can phase, the power of shocking audiences has been a powerful tool of unabashed white supremacists. So the alt-right also uses a species of what I call shock. When the alt-right does it, for nationalist purposes, they self-consciously create images and texts that do violence to their target groups. It's more than just a bludgeon, though. The practice itself is used to attract followers. It's a powerful thrill to be shocking. But understand how an established brand of shock works, I thought I might further apply this theory to other groups that use the Bible to shock and gain some sort of power over their readers. However, generally speaking, 
and this is interesting to me, internet trolls are using biblical images to shock their readers and gain followers less and less. The alt-right is in fact doing it less than ever. Uh, unfortunately, I do not see signs they're using fewer images of our text because they had been disabused of their interpretive notions by, say, members of the Society of Biblical Literature. Um, instead, though, uh, as George Hawley, the author of Making Sense of the Alt-Right, says, the alt-right is now mostly ignoring the religious question. That sets it apart entirely from far, earlier far-right movements. Obviously, the KKK presented itself as an explicitly Protestant movement. The alt-right seems to be of the view that Christianity is becoming marginally irrelevant, at least in American politics. And as such, it seems to be largely avoiding the subject. Uh, so what I'm interested in is the relationship between shock and the Bible. Uh, but keeping other shock users in mind is absolutely necessary here. With such a feeling of power available for so little investment, internet trolls are under every bridge. I am determined not to be a troll. Understanding how shock works with our text is more important than ever to be a responsible teacher. Uh, to theorize the continuum upon which both internet trolls and meaningful teachers lie is to find the core of what this disturbance means in relationship to the text. I chose Savage Sword to do this work for me because it shocks with images, text, and a twist. It's written by a master of shock, Grant Morrison, uh, in Heavy Metal, a magazine that is designed and marketed to mostly men, usually read as white, self-consciously heterosexual men. Uh, the covers alone are often rather shocking and are no stranger to biblical imagery as well. Uh, so take a look at these covers, David. I've got uh, four of them here displayed for you. Uh, four covers of heavy metal uh, from the last couple of years. These are, in fact, all fairly recent uh, covers, a couple of which are variant editions of the same mythic special that I'm using that uh, Savage Sword actually shows up in. So take right. a look. What do you think? Well, uh, at least two of them matches more my unfortunate expectation of <laughs> women's depictions on the cover of heavy metal. We have a great deal of bared skin in one warrior leather bared skin. And in the other sort of a beastly red cloaked version of the Pieta of some dying monster laying on a red woman's lap. Uh, Going along with this, we have a hypersexualized cover of bunnies, a big bunny orgy, except they look more <laughs> like furries or rather anthropomorphized rabbits than uh, one you might find at a petting zoo. And uh, the last, which also seems to be from the Mythic Special, is much more of a landscape than anything else, showing uh, rolling fields that suddenly are impinged upon by these large, metallic, pyramid, highly technological structures. I'd say future Egyptian structures that go straight up uh, into the sky. None of these represent a, I'd say, reality. All of them operate in a realm of fantasy. And as you say, mm -hmm. fantasy that we might not uh, engage with in... Uh, public spaces. That's right. Uh, so the the rabbit orgy cover was in fact uh, censored pretty often. Uh, newsstands refused to carry it. Uh, other things. I can see why those uh, 
those bodies are definitely not the bodies of rabbits. Hmm. And I've actually, in my presentation, used a uh, censored version of the cover that Bleeding Cool News made, where they uh, censored the uh, you know naughty bits of the rabbits with uh, Grant Morrison's head. Uh, he was the editor at the time and okayed this cover, so they've censored it with his head. Which is arguably um. <laughs> more disturbing to find there. <laughs> That's a, right. That's a floating right. head. But oh, I'm sorry, please go ahead. Sure. Uh, so the the dark sci-fi in... Um, and fantasy that's found in heavy metal. It's, by the way, an originally French comic-inspired uh, book. It's a magazine. Uh, works in shock like painters work in oils. It's part of the movement of adult underground comics that reached a height in the United States in the 80s, but inherited a long history of other adult-only comic styles. It nearly sells off its own shock capital. Uh, Grant Morrison and artist the Mullen Brothers are working within an established genre that relies on disturbing and surprising their readers. Uh, Morrison, who is a colorful figure himself, mm -hmm. um, was editing Heavy Metal where the comic was first printed in January of 2017. Uh, so I've, sh I've given you a portrait of Morrison here. What do you think of Grant? Well, I've seen a good deal of Grant Morrison, so this doesn't shock me maybe the way it would uh, a more naive read. But we have sure. uh, a, a Caucasian bald man staring at us, hands uh, akimbo as if in a mass, uh, in a a magical or mystic trance. Where behind him we have this cosmological cloud, this red cloud, and in front of him, uh, this sort of gothic castle. So he seems to be straddling a space between the cosmic and the space and the biological, and then in front of him, very architectural and uh, man-made and scary. Oh, absolutely. So it is, uh, he's definitely, uh, so this is a uh, portrayed, uh, on the, co his own cover of his own magazine, right? Uh, he's, uh, uh, in other words, this is the magazine he was editing at the time. So this is very much his own, uh, vision of himself in a way, even though he's not the artist. Uh, he has a huge number of mainstream comic titles under his byline, including, by the way, my own all-time favorite Superman story, uh, which is All-Star Superman, just in case yes, you're curious. Yes, just, just read that <laughs> recently. That's a great one. It's, it's wonderful. He also has a group of comics he calls his hyper-sigil, or sometimes he calls them super-sigil series, uh, that he credits with actual chaos magic properties uh, that they actually have an effect on the real world. Um, so, but the Savage Sword of Jesus Christ is not part of that series. Instead, it opens with a tableau of the biblical crucifixion. Uh, a blood-soaked Jesus uh, glares fiercely between two equally bloody thieves. Um, it gets worse, but let's start here. Uh, I find this a bit shocking, but I want to understand why. And I'll describe this one a little bit. First, I am interested in what is familiar about this scene. Jesus is blonde, but that's not unusual in art. Some of our classic images of Jesus are blonde. The Jesus here is hyper-masculine, but that is also not unusual in portrayals of Jesus. Uh, in a close comparison, by the way, 
the Action Bible, uh, the contemporary best-selling Bible comic, uh, is, a, is a comparison. Uh, far from shocking, this Bible comic offers a Bible expected by Christian grandmothers all over the United States. It's even endorsed by the conservative Focus on the Family group. Uh, it's a textbook case of American visual language in the action-oriented Kirbyan style and shares its values. Um, after a page turn, Jesus is already on the cross, backlit, serene, centered on a splash page. Uh, this Jesus displays muscle mass, symmetry, and definition. In this image, uh, uh, in the Action Bible, uh, two thieves also flank him, but their slight imperfections uh, in the type serve to highlight Jesus's own perfection. So what do you think of that Action Bible cover before we get back to the savage sword there? Well, I, I do notice that Jesus couldn't be more central if you tried. And I don't just mean uh, in the artist's frame of it, the way that the uh, Romans and other onlookers are surrounding him and how the thieves' uh, crosses are facing or slanted towards him. It's almost as though there was some sick pageantry uh, here, mm -hmm. but we have for him being a Caucasian Jesus and a bearded brown haired one next to no other body hair for one staying yep. with this bodybuilder uh, physique, but unlike mm -hmm. the Grant Morrison image you zoomed in on um, his modesty is well kept, meaning his rags are covering uh, any uh, sense of genitals or sex, whereas in the Grant Morrison image earlier, there is a sizable codpiece on that Jesus who is <laughs> further, further ripped. Uh, that's what stands out to me. Absolutely. These are good points. Uh, also, I, I just wanted to note that in the Action Bible, and this is not unusual in the Action Bible, uh, there's a lens flare. Yes. Uh, that they've given us here, which I think is just another sort of way that the Action Bible is trying to say, you know, this is reality, this is real. Whereas back to the Savage Sword, uh, it is certainly hyper real. Um, in the Savage Sword, the degree of all of these things is just ratcheted up. Uh, we're used to Jesus being muscular, uh, symmetrical, even in an exaggerated sort of good shape. Uh, but perhaps his level of tricep flex or the cording in his neck might give us pause. Uh, yes, by the way, it's gory. Um, and also I offer a warning to you not to consider the gore too closely if you've got a weak stomach. Um, but it's not that much more gory than see, the Passion of the Christ. Uh, objections to that gore are readily available in the scholarship. Uh, there are other portrayals of the crucifixion that rival it. Uh, I've decided to spare us those images, but if you've ever been to an intense passion play, you really won't require much more evidence. Um, so I'd also like to note that in this image, Jesus and the savage sword image, uh, there are some vultures coming to eat Jesus, we assume. Uh, he's uh, certainly more angry and in this posture of... Uh, as you referred to the Action Bible, Jesus is modest. Uh, this uh, Jesus is leaning forward, rageful. Um, he's uh, damning vultures that are trying to peck at him. There's, in fact, one of the other uh, 
people being crucified here, uh, is being eaten by a vulture. Like there's a, a hole in his head and he's being eaten by a vulture. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> it's taking it to the extreme. Uh, but it is familiar, however excessive. A uh, shock, recall affect theorist Yen Gai, is excessive excitation. This is established in the familiar, but excessively excited. If one squints, this could be a traditional crucifixion, but the devil here is in the details. Beyond the gore, this performance of the text offers readers shock after shock. Shock, rather. Their hyper-violent imagery by Matt and Kevin Mullen blends a truly disgusting set of details with cartoonish gags, the exposed brains, the sight gags, etc. It's all rather usual for the horror comic genre. The writer Grant Morrison is responsible for the words in the plot here, and it's the plot, though, that gives us the twist. Before I fully reveal the twist, it's important to understand what gives this, this piece its shock in these first two pages. Familiarity paired with words and images of ridiculously over-the-top violence. On the third page, the narrator of the book is revealed to be Adolf Hitler. Oh! Ta-da! <laughs> so suddenly that hyper-Aryan features really start to click into place. This rage monster Jesus is Hitler's attempt to repackage Christianity for Third Reich in his image. With this revelation, the familiarity is an even more sickening idea. The blondness becomes even more bothersome. The rage in his curses makes a little more sense. So here is Hitler literally fitting himself into his own Jesus figure. So let's talk about these uh, Hitler pages for a second, uh, David. Well, it's definitely understood to be from an altogether different era, altogether different setting. It uses frames uh, explicitly with a colored background that suggests that they're indoors. We have the traditional Nazi uniform uh, tailored exquisitely, unlike the rags of Jesus. And then we are given a close-up on Hitler himself, not named, but certainly familiar enough, even in this caricature, to clearly be uh, the Fuhrer of the Third Reich. I'd also do want to point out that the along with Hitler, there's another Nazi there mm -hmm. speaking with them, and they are not hypersexualized. In fact, no. uh, it, the contrast comes uh, at us a lot more strikingly when we see lines and wrinkles and double chin to Adolf Hitler as opposed to as what's been now revealed as his idealized Jesus. That's right. So so these two, the two Nazis here, both Adolf Hitler and his sort of toady that's writing this narration down, um, they are both in that sort of rubbery style that we've seen with Jesus. But whereas the Jesus was uh, formed in the sort of the, you know, this idealized masculine form, both of these are, like you say, you know, uh, they look lumpy and sort of uh, cartoonishly uh, a little, just a little off, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> a little unusual. Um, also that second, uh, Hitler image that I've got for in the, uh, presentation, um, he is literally actually sort of 
making the uh, the form of a crucifixion with his arms right. and saying, you know, I will never submit and sort of making himself into his Jesus. Um, but what I want to say here is I don't want readers to be lulled into a sense of security by the revelation that, in fact, this is not, you know, traditional Jesus. This is a, a, a an Adolf Hitler version of Jesus. This hyper-real comic book Aryan Jesus is too familiar, in fact, to be comfortable. The American Jesus fits too well with this Aryan Jesus. Now, this is not Grant Morrison's first portrayal of Hitler as a narrator. His early 90s story, The New Adventures of Hitler, follows the hallucinations of Hitler, the failed art student in 1912, as he follows the urgings of the Holy Grail to become a tyrant. Uh, the four-issue series was embroiled in controversy from the start. Uh, two members of the magazine where it was printed quit in protest, though Morrison has claimed variously that they didn't read the story before they left or that they used the title of the series as an excuse to get better jobs. Um, despite suggestions from British tabloids, Morrison insisted that he was not a Nazi, saying, no, no, man, I'm just a little guy. Nazis are gone. It's important to note in both comic stories that Hitler is not a hero. Uh, he's weak and deranged and not a Morrison-style hero at all. Uh, so let's take a quick look at these panels that I've chosen for us from The New Adventures of Hitler. Um, take they're, a look at the style here. They're much more flat, and mm -hmm. they're far less concerned with anatomy uh, than mm -hmm. they are sort of a mood to their settings. In fact... One that you provided here is practically a copy of the next one, that no action mm -hmm. is uh, taking place besides maybe a passerby vehicle in the background. Uh, whereas the others here are exaggerated in their own way, perhaps with the use of shadows or perspective, but again, not anatomically, not in terms of gore, and not in terms of sexuality. Right. The way that uh, New Adventures of Hitler sort of runs is it's almost entirely uh, internal monologue from Hitler himself. And he's I mean, he is portrayed as absolutely nuts from the very first panel. Like it's not it's, it's not that he's there's a good diagnosis here or anything. He's just uh, saying these sort of deranged things. Um, from the very beginning. And it, again, the, the panels themselves are fairly quiet. Um, the, the first ones that I have here, he's just sitting in a cafe, but because we can see his internal monologue is just, you know, he's talking about, uh, you know, I would very much like to be remembered as a great tyrant that are perhaps a great artist. So, I mean, he's not he's not all there. We don't know what's going on, but uh, Morrison is certainly not portraying him ha as a traditional hero or even a hero in the way that Morrison is used to doing. Like I said, Morrison has written my favorite Superman book. He knows how to uh, really tap into sort of a wholesome hero. Um, it's true that Morrison's protagonists are always, always, almost always sort of morally gray in some way. Uh, however, I think it would be a mistake to think of this work as nihilistic or even having fascist sympathies. Uh, his chaos magic ideas have more in common with his father's anti-nuclear movement or his own Glaswegian punk sensibilities than with Nazis. 
His work here, I think, is more in line with his early fanzines turn to what he calls PC-baiting surrealist humor than a call for Nazi sympathy of any kind. He reported working on the idea years ago when he heard about the real-world German Protestant Institute for the Study and Eradication of Jewish Influence on German Religious Life that was founded in 1939. This is shock rooted in the reality of Christian anti-Semitism. It is a twist on something that is all too real in our contemporary world, including the way that the alt-right has used the image of Hitler as a saint of the movement. Uh, meme versions of Hitler are used to provoke and shock all over the internet. Uh, so I've picked a, a one of many zillions of Hitler memes. So you want to want to talk about what's going on here? Well, we have sort of a button, a politically incorrect button that seems to originate from Reddit that says, in your heart, you know he's right. And we have a picture of Adolf Hitler surrounded by a little heart. So it looks very uh, innocent, perhaps, until you get into the details that it's Hitler and it's espousing him through, ironically, love. That's right. That's right. So the American Jesus fits too well with the Aryan Jesus. That is, precisely certain details of the alt-right message that do not initially strike mainstream Christians as problematic aspects of that appropriation cause the biggest problems in our contemporary interpretations. Blunting a healthy shock in the mainstream has helped pave the way for the emergence of a more overtly alarming sub-movement. So let's move on toward tension which I'm theorizing now is not between shock and domestication, but between something like a shock that harms and a shock that galvanizes. Sometimes the same object can do both. Uh, the savage sword might even be both. If not that these expose brains, Jesus's violent demands, or the buxom Mary Magdalene that comes later in the story. By the way, this uh, Mary Magdalene that comes later on uh, exactly fits your sort of worst idea of what could possibly be uh, portrayed, a woman portrayed in a heavy metal magazine. Yep. Uh, the, re the reveal of the narrator to be an obviously unbalanced Adolf Hitler can give us a jolt, even in the context of the dark, hyper-masculine and erotic fantasy found in he heavy metal magazine. It's shocking, jolting excessively exciting, horrifying, upsetting, because it is too close to an everyday U.S. Christian reality. It's shocking because despite Morrison's plea that Nazis were gone in the early 90s, people are resurrecting the image on those alt-right places on the internet and in real life. It's all uncomfortably close. Uh, and I've given you a picture here to, to look at while I do this of uh, a bunch of people with tiki torches uh, that you might recognize from Charlottesville from recently. Uh, generally speaking, we read shocking literature, watch shocking films and television shows, participate in cultural events that shock us to perceive the limits of our social ordinary and the horizons of our personal normal. As a biblical scholar, I want to take this idea further for my text. As long as we have something to evade or deny, we will be shocked and use shock on each other. To determine the best use of shock, I think, is to allow ourselves to be shocked by things that have become too familiar about interpretations of the Bible. Jesus's whiteness and in interpretations, his blondness here, and his hypermasculinity is a symbol that bears even more urgency in further work within a contemporary U.S. context. 
I'm not just out to shock, which would put me in the position of the alt-right trolls. The 2010s Reddit version of do-it-yourself culture is doing something with symbols that is not only a gleeful destruction of systems, but a self-conscious harm of individuals. Sometimes what I will say about the Bible will shock. The cross is, in fact, violent. The Bible is dangerous. Writers like Morrison and artists like the Mullen Brothers can help us with what I want to conclude here is a sort of generative shock. They can ground us in the familiar and then shake us back to the nauseatingly too close to home. They can sharpen our understanding of what is a savage sword. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, oh, I'm, you're quite welcome. I'm going to play the role of the audience member now, if I may, uh, and Please. offer up one or two questions. Sure. Uh, and going back to the the Savage Sword illustrations, are you mm -hmm. open to the possibility that it's a blonde Jesus, that it is a um, gory Jesus? Uh, could it be presented by Morrison in that way to signal or intended to signal this is not our Jesus? I'm Knowing Morrison, he loves his alternate realities. I think we have sure. as much opportunity here to reject this being Jesus as we do to accept the shock and then take comfort in it. I completely agree. I think, I think what he's doing by taking it further um, is is absolutely meant to signal that this is something is off here. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm going for though is that there is the parts that are familiar yeah. are so familiar. In other words, this does feel just like the passion of the Christ. This does feel like many sort of everyday um, versions of uh, this story. Uh, and in fact, the story is violent. I mean, I, you know, my uh, uh, main work is actually with biblical texts and there's no quiet portrayal of the crucifixion in the text. It is, in fact, violent. It's a terrible practice. It's uh, Crucifixion is, um, you know, a horrible way to die and something that is meant to be uh, on display in the most, uh, you know, to give people the idea that this is horrible and you should never um, defy the empire because if you don't, this horrible, horrible thing will happen to you. So, in fact, crucifixion by its very nature is meant to be violent and gory and horrible. Um, but it's just that idea that there's something that Morrison is doing to show, uh, look, all I have to do is just nudge it just a little bit, just a very little bit, um, and see where I can get it. In other words, there's nothing in these pictures that I think is like outside of the realm of a an everyday portrayal of this in you know, mainstream culture, um, except when it goes, like, it's, there's, it's just one step too far. In other words, it's not six steps too far. It's just one step too far. Mm. Let me also uh, ask, I know your focus here is, of course, on New Testament and on portrayals mm -hmm. of the cross, but this discussion has me thinking a great deal about R. Crumb's uh, mm -hmm. comic book, uh, graphic novel, uh, adaptation of Genesis That's right. and how little he had to do to make it visually shocking when it moves from text to image 
um, uh, the nudity of Noah or mm-hmm. the rape of Dinah and the response of her brothers um, suddenly takes on this graphic and I'd argue shocking um, tone, even if it was there in the text all along. Uh-huh. And it leads me to ask, do comics as a medium make verbal texts, make written texts more um, sincere, transparent, uh, make makes them hold to the intensity that was originally there, even if subsequent audiences uh, try to shave it down. This is exactly like, Dave, you have given me exactly my dissertation topic. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> so my entire dissertation, which I uh, completed in 2015, is exactly about this idea that there comics can be a very important tool uh, for giving uh, a visual interpretation, a visual translation of uh, written text. In other words, especially with something like the Bible, which Mm -hmm. has been, I mean, read and reread and reinterpreted uh, so many times in uh, its various cultures that, that Uh, use it for religious purposes in particular, but even in just mainstream culture, you know, American culture, um, it's been read and reread so many times that it is in fact so domesticated, so blunted, um, that it's very difficult to get people to actually read what's there. Uh, What's wonderful about R. Crumb's Book of Genesis Illustrated is that in fact, he does go through, and I love the way he does on the back cover of Book of Genesis Illustrated, He's got a, a sort of a, a comic book style kind of sales pitch for the book. Yes. Um, where he says, like, even includes the begats, which, like, you know, for, for people who read Genesis, like, it's that long genealogical list of so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. It's the part but you he, skip over. That's right. But in his book, you don't skip over it. You know, it's there, but it works. Um, what I love about what he's done is that you're right. He doesn't really add any it's not like there's anything that he had to add necessarily to the text in order to make it violent and shocking and just weird and interesting i mean you know the nephilim are already there like there are these angels in the in genesis that are like giants that come down and mate with human beings it's like that's already there he didn't have to make that up like it's there um so his sort of fantastical and um, you know, this very violent human story that happens as well. I mean, he didn't have to make that up. It's already all in there, you know? Um, and I think uh, the text was well chosen, but there's a lot of other things going on in the Bible as well that that could use the same treatment. Elizabeth, I want to thank you again <laughs> for sharing this writing with us today, especially for those of us that could not be at your AAR presentation. Thank you so much. Oh, certainly. It's very much my pleasure. I uh, I have to say that I really value the opportunity to uh, talk about this with more people. 
um, more than just were able to actually come to one meeting room in Boston. So uh, yeah, I'd love to have conversation with people if they would like to talk to me about this too. Potentially recorded conversation. <laughs> That's right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to read more content from Sacred and Sequential, please visit our website at www.sacredandsequential.org. We can also be found on Twitter at Religion Comics. Today's music was provided by Simon Mathewson from the album Circuit. My name is A. David Lewis. Stay connected.